1: Hello Louise. How are you doing Here, today?
0: I'm doing all right. I have a little bit of a scratch in my throat so I've got to I've got to jump on it and get some ginger tea and uh, yeah hence why we're not recording neither or not uh, a <laughs> recording video. So,
1: we're recording sorry, video folks. we're both a little hazy sorry, but t- YouTuber, tis YouTube the season.
0: People. Yes <laughs> <laughs> plus it's a no makeup kind of day for me.
1: Me too. I, I enjoy these days of no makeup and no, we can just be under our blankets. Gosh, we sound old. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: We're we're uh, doing the holiday cuddle or whatever that's called.
0: Yes. We've both got our dogs next to us. Yeah. Woody and Gracie.
1: Well, I'll tell you the good part about that is the reading under the blanket. Well, this this book gets better and better. Oh my gosh. It's this particular section really affected me. I definitely um had emotional reaction to it. Yeah, I want to hear. Well, and we're just to remind people we're reading The Mistress's Daughter by A.M. Holmes. We're in section 5. We're just kind of taking it section by section, so there's no official. But- yeah,
0: so we're right now we we're starting today with her first meeting of Ellen her birth mother and it's really sad to look at how damaged Ellen is she's stuck in time kind of you know but also am just her observational you know she's so of our era and it just reminded me of like she said she looks like someone from another decade a woman who believes in glamour who listens to Burt Backrack and Dinah Shore to cheer herself up I suspect this is the way she must have dressed when she used to meet my father probably also in hotels but now she's 55 years old
1: and a lot has been lost to time it just paints a picture of I can picture her walking and exactly what that is. Yes. I mean, it's and they and like you said in the last time they're meeting at the plaza at the oyster bar, which is another sort of fantasy thing, right?
0: Right. It's all Ellen's fantasy and of not, you know, like both of her parents kind of project onto her without really seeing her for who she is, but more for who they think she should be, or I don't know. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah. It's like, she's a little kid almost like fulfilling these little meeting here. And this is, you know, it's where tourists go and kind Mm -hmm. of, kind of like where you take your, your daughter, you know, for a little thing when she's 10 and in a little day or something, I don't know. It just, it felt weird to me. It was like, that would be such a weird place to meet your birth mother.
0: Very strange. The whole thing. And then I just like how AM says, is this the difference between what one is born as and what one becomes? Hardware versus software, nature versus nurture. I thought that was yeah. kind of a profound she has a
1: She has a bunch of them. I mean, here she is when she's going and I get this part just, you know, and I know you do too. I recently saw my bio family and there was a little poignant things. I was like, oh, that's how I feel like kind of, You know, you're this grown-up person in our lives. We know how to dress. We're, you know, successful in our realms. We feel confident most of the time. These kinds of things. And then you go and she's like, I would like to go as myself, not my best self or average self, but my worst self. In the end, I dress up, which Mm -hmm. made me laugh because that's what I would have done. (laughs) I am once again compelled to try to make a good impression. In some fantasy of my own, I want to see her... I want her to see how well I turned out, want her to be proud of me. Yeah. I mean, obviously, she's turned out amazing. She's this, like, you know, successful, famous author. But you still feel like, oh, I'm going to dress up. I need to. Well,
0: it's just so primitive, you know. And that is, there's a, a few things she said. I mean, you kind of said this, but she says, Invisibility is the thing I live in fear of. I implode, folding like an origami. I try to speak, but have no words. My response is primitive before language, before cognition, the memory of the body.
1: Oh, that's great. I mean, I read it, but just you saying it, it that's even more beautiful, actually.
0: <laughs> and, you know, and the whole meeting between the two of them is all about Ellen and.
1: Oh, my God. I know. You know, the,
0: just it's so. She is. She is stuck in the Burt Backrack era, ordering the lobster, dipping it in butter. Oh, I thought that
1: was so weird. Like, here sits your daughter, who I couldn't eat, you know, like you who
0: you have never, you know, who you gave up and obviously traumatized you, traumatized you giving up your daughter. Yeah. And you sit there eating lobster, like, like this is a, you know, a regular, this is your monthly outing together. You know, it's almost like as if, yeah, it's very odd. That's She's very disconnected
1: and in, in from reality. That's know, actually very when I saw disconnected how sick from reality. Yeah, that's when I saw. I wouldn't say sick, but that's how when I saw how traumatized she was because it was so odd her behavior.
0: And obviously, you know, Am has talked about it in the book prior to this, but that there was an indication, an implication of Ellen's sexual abuse by her own stepfather. So. Yeah. She's, you know, and people that suffer that kind of abuse often, if they don't get help, then they're stuck in time. You know, yeah. In that childlike. And that's what Ellen strikes me as someone who's very, very childlike. Yeah. As a defense mechanism, you know. So it's really sad. And in fact, at one point, she asked AM to adopt her.
1: Oh my God. Which is okay. the most. Bizarre.
0: But before we jump there, there was one thing that when AM gets back together with her friend who's waiting for her, the friend says, What would you have liked from her? And AM says, Literally, I would have liked it if she'd looked at me and asked, Is there anything you need? Anything I can do for you? Anything you want to tell me?
1: Mm -hmm. And then she says, Did you make a plan to see her again? I like this part. No, I will never see her again. Somehow I know that. Yeah. Just like that's it. It was so Disheartening to her, and I do like how she had a friend waiting. I would have done that. Yeah, (laughs) I could picture you and I waiting for each other. How to go? What's going on? But I only I'd
0: known you when I met Tilda. I, you know.
1: uh, Oh, I know. I think about that. Wouldn't it have been so much better to like have someone to kind of come back and just?
0: Yeah, I didn't because uh, I. Yeah, I didn't have any. I had one adopted friend that was. I mean that I that. I had a few adopted friends, but anyway,
1: yes. That I have to tell great. you that my few adopted friends I did have when I met my bio family the first time were the people who least wanted to talk about it. How's that? Like I I'm remember, trying to think
0: if that was my experience.
1: I had one in particular, and we were very close. And it, now I'm looking at it's not like her fault or something. Look where we are now. I mean, look mm-hmm. how long it's taken me to talk about. It. <laughs> she wasn't even really curious. It, it was that weird kind of scaring you type of thing. Like, oh, I wouldn't do that. You know.
0: Yeah. Yeah,
1: it's interesting. I I was
0: just reflecting to see how it was. You know, anyway, I don't remember. But yeah, so then we jump into where she, you know, then Ellen calls her on Valentine's Day. She's angry because A.M. didn't send her a valentine. I mean, it's just. Yeah, like a child. Like who sends a a valentine?
1: I don't even send my husband a valentine.
0: You don't. And she says, you don't take good care of me. You should adopt me and take good care of you. Like, this is just. Weird. Oh my God! Poor Am having to go through that. You know, without and there's and nobody for her to talk to probably about it.
1: Yeah. Well, she even says, "I don't know how to respond." You're scaring me is all I can manage. Which, yeah, from a grown woman, you think that's pretty scary for her to say you're scaring me. That's also taking Am back to the childhood. Like, yes, I have an unbalanced mother here that's making demands I can't handle.
0: That is just having an unbalanced mother is really the some of the worst damage you can do on a child, you know, and in that sense, when she says, you know, you did the right
1: thing, giving me up. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't, you know, the way she said it, the one I like how, you know, how we interviewed her. So we kind of know her voice now, mm-hmm. not just her reading when she says, you absolutely did the right thing. <laughs>
0: right. <laughs> I could hear her saying it. But, you know, here's the thing is because I often think about this, you know, about my own birth mother yep. who also was adopted, you know, and forced to give me up. She didn't want to give me up. And I I think about, you know, that damage. If she had been able to keep me, that damage would have been a lot less and things, you know, I don't know. You know, we don't know. We don't things know. Things have been better. Like had Ellen kept AM, would it have been a different scenario? Would she have been more healed?
1: It's just it's an unknown. I had a, um, it's funny you bring this up, Sarah, last night I had a very deep conversation with my husband after reading this, just about this, and I was, I found out new information, not really new information, but more facts pieced together on my last visit with my bio family on my mom's side, mm-hmm. and I have always known in the last, you know, 20 years or so that, that my birth mother had me in the hospital at least three or four days with me. In the right. room, this kind of thing. And then I didn't really realize she had more support than I thought. You know what I mean? Offered, you know, people offered to help her in her family to keep me. And she was working and she was very young. So it's not like she was making a lot of money or anything, but she still chose, she chose to give me up. And it was the first time ever that it hit me where I was angry at her. You yeah. Know? Desperately wanted me to be raised with, in a healthy family with a father, which, which I ended up getting this wonderful father and a very healthy family. But it still upset me in a different way than uh, someone's making me cry now. It was very much like, why didn't you like, I was telling Bill last night, like, why wouldn't you want to keep me after you had me for four days? I can't imagine handing Jack over anybody. I wouldn't even let the nurse take him. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, no. I I have some attachment issues, but.
0: Yeah, I do. I had, you know, I, I couldn't even let Becker sleep in the bassinet the
1: night of no. birth. He, he was in bed with me. Me too. And A little bundle in bed. Yeah. And I know the times were different. Her pressures were different. What she wanted for her life and my life were different. So I'm, of course, not going back like blaming, but it is that sliding door sort of, you know. It's very in, uh, It's
0: interesting that, you know, like the aspect, the, you know, deeply spiritual aspect, I guess, where you were willingly given up and I was not willingly given yes. up and then put into a family that had its own set of
1: traumas. You know, I told him exactly this. I was like, and this is what happened to Sarah. And he was really listening to it. Like, I didn't really realize that's what happened to Sarah and you and like, and he's like pondering it. Cause it really reading this brought up all this stuff. And what I know about what your mom went through, I don't know. Yeah. It's, it's all very, uh, trauma for the baby. This is what I can tell so you. So
0: trauma, you know, and and nobody at that in those days really considered the babies and the no and the trauma or the children. You know, when my own parents got divorced and like they didn't, that wasn't. The, I'm not saying my mom didn't. I'm just saying they kind of thought,
1: well, this is what's best. It's the and, era. Yeah, it, it was very much like children, you know. What did Am say when we interviewed her? It would have been weird if if Mrs. So and So asked how you were feeling. Like nobody. Yes. Else. <laughs> we asked children. We were just supposed to kind of disappear when the adults did their thing, you know. Yes, we weren't
0: real people. No, we were just a uh, you know adornments, I guess. Adornments. Well, well, then it goes on. We I hope readers are reading along because yes. what, what really is she was so right about never seeing Ellen again because. Ellen then died, all the feelings that came up with that
1: were big, big. <laughs> yeah. We'll get into that because that's going to be the next thing. Oh, we have one yeah. thing we have to say, Sarah, but she met Norman's wife.
0: Yeah. Norman's her
1: birth father. And she, met yes, the, I want
0: to, we, let's talk about awesome. this whole thing next time. Cause the okay. Norman situation is so, there's so much there too.
1: It's so rich. That, it's like every little conversation of that. I'm like, Oh my God.
0: like the weird kind of loss of Ellen and not.
1: Yes. Yeah. Not, you know, kind of like not, she met her and then there was no, I mean, you don't always have closure in relationships, but there was no anything. I don't know. She didn't get anywhere with that. It was almost worse. I don't know how I'm trying to say it, but yeah, uh, it's just sad. It made me sad. The The whole,
0: whole, this whole section made me really sad. Yeah and just the pain and the the Ellen just never really getting a life i guess yeah just and then, she was like a ghost wandering around of somebody who just was damaged and victimized and by yeah. everybody and then you know never really got to have any kind of fulfillment in her own life you know an no. unexamined an unexamined life really yeah. she died
1: with an unexamined life and that part of it made me sad and me too and when we're talking so much about adoption I mean it's adopt awareness month right it has been november No it's not adopt oh, awareness no, month Oh, right. uh, you're know, uh, I, I name it that
0: it's the opposite of adopt awareness month it is it is <laughs> national adoption month where you know wanting adoptive parents to come get children so no it's, Right what it's i'm it's saying the exact is exact opposite in, in yes. my mind
1: i i make it adopt awareness yes. month right but but that's the thing is like the birth mother And the adoptee are the forgotten people. Yes. And this is where these books are so important so that if you are entering into this kind of thing, you really examine all the different layers, you know, and and it's yeah, I I just feel like this is, it's been a big voice even for me, like the things you and I know, this is still new feelings that come up for me while Mm -hmm. reading your book. Well, it's just yeah, it's it just keeps peeling back more and more layers, and yeah, it does of the trauma. Yeah, it really does. There's more to come, and mm-hmm. and we have a guest that kind of peels back a lot of layers, actually. Too now, that I think about it, it, ties in. Yes, we do. So we'll, we'll see you there. in a few minutes. See you soon.
0: Bye. Hey, we just want to give a shout out to all of our Patreons to say, thank you. We are so grateful for your support and can't thank you enough. We're so close to being able to bring this podcast to you weekly. We just need a few more Patreons to get us there. So if you want to be one of those that pushes us over, we'd love it. You can go to patreon.com and search adoption, the making of me. So many people have reached out wanting to be guests and coming to you weekly. will give voice to adoptees that want to tell their story. Your support will help us get there. Any amount is appreciated. Thank you.
1: Here we are again with another guest. And today our guest comes originally from Canada and then from Austin, Texas, now living in North Carolina. And we'd like to introduce Darren Watson to our show. Hi. Hi, Darren.
2: Thank you. Uh, I appreciate you interviewing me and I'm happy to be on your podcast.
1: Thanks. And basically just jump right in. Like what's your adoption story and why are you here? What are you going to tell us about?
2: Okay. I was born in a small farming town in Alberta called Hannah. And that is where Lanny McDonald is from. He's a hall of fame NHL hockey player and also Nickelback from there. <laughs> Don't hold that against me. If you... <laughs> I was born in July of 1970 and my mother at the time was 16 and the home environment wasn't safe for a baby to be brought into and so i was relinquished at birth and then i was put in foster care for nearly seven months and then my adopted parents lived in northern alberta and they they came to get me in february of 1971. so i lived in a small town called peace river Uh, about 300 miles north of Edmonton. And my parents had my sister before me. She was born from them. And she and I were only seven and a half months apart. And so I grew up in Peace River. And I had some questions when I was young. Uh, My parents would tell me about my adoption story as early as three years old. And when I was six... We went to Hannah for a visit, and I saw the hospital where I was born. I remember seeing the name of the doctor. He had a parking spot with his name on it and we went to a local department store and I bought a small panda teddy bear about twelve inches tall and It was a souvenir for for the trip and something to remember and After that, I didn't really have many questions
0: Did, Did you-, you have any siblings
2: growing up, I had a I have an older sister who was, she was not uh, adopted, but we were less than eight months apart in age.
0: Wait, she wasn't adopted. So she was less than eight months and then they adopted you. Yeah. I was going to ask, how did that come about?
2: They filed for adoption. My adoptive mom had a rough pregnancy. She was in labor for over three days and so after my sister was born, they decided to file for adoption because they wanted to have a, a son
1: and my mom didn't
2: want to go through pregnancy again. So when they filed, normally back then it was a two-year wait. Right. Like, that's fast. And actually, I they only waited about six months before they got the call that a boy was available to them. So
0: they weren't expecting that so quickly so right. to have to have you and your right. sister so close in age
2: right and it was unusual circumstances because my my mom did not stay at home she owned a flower shop and they called her a thursday before valentine's day and said we have a boy for you in edmonton come pick him up tomorrow so 300 mile drive and my mom said I, I can't because of valentine's day it's my busiest time of the year for my business so they actually decided to put me on another foster home for a few days over the weekend, and then my parents picked me up that Monday at the uh, adoption agency in, in Edmonton. And that was kind of unusual as well, because normally back then, if you didn't come and get the kid you were chosen for you, you would lose that baby and it would go to another family. So in that regard, it was a lot of Unusual circumstances.
0: The baby factory
1: era of the baby <laughs> scoop era.
2: <laughs> yeah, the, the next available.
1: So when you went to the hospital in Hannah, is that what it was called? Yes. When you were taken there around six. So your adopted parents, they they showed you all of that. So you'd have some of your birth story or feel part of it because you right. saw the hospital. Mm-hmm. That's just yeah. interesting. I thought that was unique.
2: Yeah, yeah. And my parents were very open with sharing whatever information they could. And we didn't talk about adoption that much. But if, if I had questions, they would, they would answer as best that they could. It was a closed adoption. I knew my first name given at birth, but I didn't know anything else.
0: Did they keep your first name or did they give you another one?
2: It was different.
1: Mm-hmm. And how was your relationship with your sister being so close in age? I mean, in general, just you are very close
2: in age. <laughs> That's a good question. I think because she was less than a year and a half old at the time and I came into the picture, I took away a lot of the attention my parents had given her. So right away, she didn't like me from that aspect. Sometimes we got along, we were expected to get along, but a lot of times we didn't get along. So now we're both in our fifties and we don't really have communication for various reasons. Mm -hmm. So as I was growing up, I felt very insecure inside. I didn't feel I could fit in with the in crowd at school. And so I would, I was very competitive playing sports because I felt in some way if, if I earned, you know, playing well at, Whatever sport I was playing, it could be hockey, volleyball, basketball, different sports. Then I, w- I would get praise. I would feel more accepted. Almost kind of the thinking of feeling like I had to earn praise and approval from others. Mm-hmm.
1: Did you think much about, I know it's different sometimes for men than for young boys and girls. Did you think much about being adopted in your teen years or?
2: I, I think about that much. I felt another way to fit in. Uh, I started dating when I was 14 and I thought if I had a girlfriend, I would be accepted as well. So I, I dated a lot and I would jump from one relationship to another. And when I was in grade 12, my mom worked for the RCMP Mounties and she went to work Support for the Calgary Olympics in 1988. And when she came back, she told my dad she wanted to move to Edmonton. She was started living in a small town. So that summer, we moved to Edmonton. And within a year and a half, my parents were transferred to Austin, Texas, for my dad's job. And as they were Moving, I remember my mom saying, "You know, if you want to search, we'll help you uh, search for your your birth mother." And and so I wasn't ready at the time. I was going through a lot of partying on my own with friends and just some personal stuff. I I just was not ready to to deal with that. Did you
0: have a close relationship with your parents? the parents?
2: Yeah, I did. They were very good to me compared to other horror stories I've heard of adoptees being abused physically and emotionally and otherwise there were, there were still challenges growing up in a family where I was the only one not adopted. I didn't really connect it at the time, but as I've learned more through reunion and growing and working on myself, I've realized coming out of the fog, the, the challenges that adoptees face with, The trauma that starts uh, when we're separated and relinquished. Mm -hmm.
1: How old were you when you moved to Austin? Was that a big move to move away from your hometown and everything?
2: I I was 21. So I was only in Edmonton for three years.
0: Oh, So you moved with them at 21?
2: I moved about a year and a half after they moved.
0: Okay. You stayed in Canada, and then a year and a half later moved to Austin to be near them, yeah, okay,
2: so I was going through a lot of personal things, and I was not caring for myself. I was drinking a lot, I was going from one relationship to another, and i just I realized how destructive my life was. I wasn't doing drugs or anything like that, but I just felt very insecure and then I moved to Austin, started going to school and working for my dad. After a couple of years, I, I went through a painful breakup. And I realized at the time I, I couldn't go through the same pattern of going from one relationship to another because it just wasn't working for me. And I, I quit drinking and I got into a 12-step group that helps with relationships. And stuff like that. So that was in January of 1994 that I began that path.
0: So how many old? adoptees have that those substance know. issues? Myself included. I relate. So, yeah. how, old, how old
1: were you when you went through this?
2: I was 23 when I started. So that was January 1994, or and then that June I was seeing a regression therapist. At the time, and I had one session where I I went back to when I was conceived and then I was in my mother's womb when I was born and then taken to foster care. And it was a very powerful session because I could experience everything that had been going on with me at that time. And when I was born, I remember in the session, I was screaming for my birth mother to hold me and she didn't trauma that was hidden in there uh, came up and I was able to process some of it. And then when I was taken to foster care a few weeks later, I remember feeling terrified and I didn't know why at the time. And the really unique thing about that session, was it was on June 17th and that was actually my birth mother's 40th birthday in 1994. And I, I hadn't even started looking for her, but I, I just realized later the, the date and how significant that must have been. A huge coincidence. And then a few weeks later, I turned 24, and my adopted mom gave me a copy of Journey to the Adopted Self. And I looked inside the book. She wrote some a few sentences in there. And I was just, even with all that support from her, my adopted mom I was just too terrified to read the book and so I put the book down and I didn't open it for a whole year until I turned 25 and when I started reading the book I I could identify with so many things that Betty Jean Lifton had wrote and I, I thought okay this is something I need to do is to start searching and I didn't know exactly how to do it but I, that August of 1994, 1995, sorry, I wrote the Alberta government to get my identifying information. And on October 2nd that year, I opened the mail and there was an envelope from them. And I went to, I took the envelope and I went to a local adoption support group with adoption knowledge affiliates in Austin. And I opened the, Envelope saw my full birth name and I just kept staring at it. Luckily, some of the founding members were there, and also a search angel, and she offered to put my information on on the internet on some search sites, and I, I agreed to it. I was really skeptical. I didn't know much about the internet, and I didn't think it would help. But in actuality, it was the right choice to find my birth mother. Uh, I got a call that weekend saying uh, another search angel in Canada found my birth mother left a message and it was actually Thanksgiving weekend in Canada. It's in early October. So that Monday, October 9th, I got a call from the search angel. He said, I left her a message. I have to hear back from her. I can't give you her information uh, she may not want to talk to you, so don't get your hopes up. And- I think
1: I, I think it's just to interrupt for a second. You were so young to really have this support. Even just reading the book that young is, I mean, just I'm fascinated by that. That you had these search angels and an adoptive community that you were part of. Mm-hmm. You know, we're just finding that now. I think it's mm-hmm. great. It's
2: really
0: yeah. Yeah. really gives you a leg up on the rest of your life. Yeah. 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 And doing regression therapy so young. I know.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that that was quite interesting, the regression therapy. And so after I talked to the search angel, I, I called my therapist, the regression therapist. And she was actually either a birth mother or an adoptee. And we talked for a while. And so after getting off the phone with her, I decided, well, I'm just gonna eat. It's getting kind of late and I was just gonna go to bed and then about nine o'clock central time, the phone rang and it, I answered, it was my birth mother. And she said, this is your real mother. And wow.
0: That must have I, been emotional.
2: Yeah. I just started saying, oh my God, oh my God. And then something about her voice sounded familiar to me. And we, we talked and cried for about an hour and a half. she told me everything about the situation. She told me who my birth father was. And so we decided to stay in touch. And it was a really emotional call. And afterwards I called my parents, my dad was still up. And I told them, I said, well, I found my birth mother and I just felt like on cloud nine, I felt whole for the first time in my life. And then the next morning, A lot of more emotions came up. I felt anger, just a whole range of emotions. I realized I had been living most of my life with frozen emotions. It was hard for me to express my emotions and to talk to people. And ever since that happened, it it really changed for me. I felt a, a big weight lifted off my shoulders, knowing where I came from and... So my birth mother and I would, we wrote each other, sent pictures, and I remember getting in an envelope that Friday in the mail with pictures of her and I had two younger half brothers and family members and just staring at all these pictures and reading her letters over and over again for that weekend, just processing and. We decided to call every Sunday and then fax each other or write. And then after a few weeks, I asked her, I said, Well, I would like to meet you. Would it be okay to come up there for Christmas and New Year's? And she talked to her, her family and they agreed to it. So I went up there on December 21st. I flew to Calgary and we met at the airport and hugged for the first time. And hmm. When I was growing up, I would watch talk shows and they would have reunions of birth mothers and adoptees. And it seemed every time that I watched one of those shows, I would get emotional and I thought, I want to have that experience. I want to be able to hug my birth mother and thank her and tell her I'm okay. And so that's what I wanted to experience with her. And we stayed at a hotel in Calgary that night in adjoining rooms, just to get to know each other. And the next morning, we drove to back to the city where she lived in southern Alberta. And on the way there, I I just at one point I was terrified, and I put my head down on her lap. She was driving, and I just cried like a little baby for I don't know how long. But afterwards, I felt and we, we talked and I, I was excited to meet my brothers. I was kind of anxious about meeting her husband because even though he knew about me, uh, my brothers did not know about me. And oh, so
0: she was taking you to meet them and they didn't know about you.
2: They didn't know about me until I found them in October. Oh, okay. 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 But, <laughs> but they, they, knew, Surprise! they knew I was coming and I, I was staying with them.
1: How old were the boys? Were they still boys or?
2: They were 21 to 19.
1: Oh, okay. So, so she, it's not much younger than you. Yeah. Okay. You were what, 24 or something? 25. 25. 25. Wow. Okay. Yeah. It's pretty brave. And, you know, just knowing young people, just being 25, doing this on your own, it's big.
2: Yeah. I, <laughs> in hindsight, I, I realized, you know, how how big of an emotional impact that that was in my life. And and also for them and staying with them for that long, it was a bit of a challenge. Uh, We had mutual friends in the same city and they were away for Christmas and New Year's, but they gave my birth mother a key. And I stayed there a couple of nights just to, to have space for myself and to give them a break as well, because even though, you're wanted in reunion, you are an interruption to the existing family unit. Mm -hmm. So yeah,
0: it's true. It's true.
2: Those are things to consider in, in reunion. And if I had a chance to do it over again, I would probably do it differently, but it's so surreal when the emotions take over and you just want to be able to have that moment, meet your birth parent or family members that you've never known for most or all of your life up to that point. And, it, and
0: did you get along with your brothers?
2: We got along. There was still some tension because a lot of the, the attention our mother had would give them was going to me for the couple of weeks. And so there, there was some tension with them in some aspects. I did go to a movie with my youngest brother and, Every time that movie comes on, I, I think of that. And that that was a special thing.
0: Are you still in touch with them, the brothers?
2: One of them I am, the youngest. Uh just on Facebook, not not very often.
0: And your birth mother you're still in touch with?
2: No, no.
0: Oh, I'm sorry.
2: That was part of the, the journey between us because after I returned to to Texas. I fell into deep depression and she was concerned about me and I, I so I went back to school and I just could not focus. And after a few months, I started seeing a different therapist and he helped me process a lot of my feelings. He, he was not adoptee trained, but he did help me with what I needed at the time for a few years. And Things between my birth mother and I they were on and off, sometimes they were good, sometimes not. She and her husband came to visit us in December the next year nineteen ninety six and her husband and I went out for breakfast one day and he had some concerns to get off his chest and we we talked about it and i I apologized for my part in, in what happened the year before and I thought we'd patch things up and so The rest of the trip was much easier, but there were still things that came up.
1: When they visited, did they meet your adopted parents?
2: Yes. Yes. Yes.
1: Yeah. So, and then did your adopted parents realize that you're going through this depression and all these things were happening with your life as well?
2: I didn't share a lot of it with them. Mm -hmm. At the time, I shared in the 12-step meetings I was going to. Not so much about adoption, but just
0: your feelings.
2: Yeah, I'm trying to process things, and we even went to the the monthly adoption knowledge affiliates meeting. My parent, my parents, uh, my birth mother and her husband, and so that was interesting. But then they went back to Canada, and then that that spring, I met someone in my twelve step program. I I would stop dating for for a few years, just to kind of get to know myself. And uh, I met someone who we ended up being friends, but my birth mother seemed to be jealous because I was spending time with my new friend and, and not writing her as often as I used to. And so I think there were, there were some issues that that came up.
1: It's funny, the whole reunion thing, you know, we've learned so much from guests that, you know, people think, oh, you're in reunion. Everything's going to be really great. But then yes, <laughs> that, can, that can be very short-lived and, yeah. and no one really has a, a, I mean, I know you're actually a reunion coach, but there's, there's no a, blueprint. There's yes. no blueprint. And most people enter it with very little knowledge of what to do. And
2: yeah. And it, and I think part of it is, you know, what society shows is the a happy Kodak moment in a yeah. stage if adoptees could even get to that. What I've found through my experience and listening and talking to other adoptees, what happens after the initial meeting, that's where the real work comes up because of the traumas there, the honeymoon stage is gone. One or both of the parties start to pull back and there's just a whole lot of chaos and drama that can go on. And I, w- I was in a adoption panel of, few weeks ago and one of the participants he or attendees he he posted in the chat up to 80 percent of reunions don't work out
0: hmm, I didn't realize that number yeah. was so high it's a high
2: number. yeah I I didn't either and I it doesn't surprise me I, I was thinking maybe half of them don't work out but that can be what is working out it could be different for many different situations God, it's
0: just highlights so much the, for lack of a better word, like the loneliness of the adoptee, right? I mean, just floating through mm-hmm. life as a younger person, really not feeling super connected Then you, then, I mean, it's just, it's just, it's sad.
2: It is, it is because we, I think we have this fantasy expectation of what things will be like possibly when we meet her her birth family and especially our birth mothers. And most of the time that fantasy does not work fit reality. Mm-hmm. And that was definitely the case for me because, you know, there were t- times during a reunion, I thought things would be great. And then my birth mother would send me a letter, usually several pages and she would be angry and making up things that just were not happening or assuming things that weren't true
0: sounds like she had an expectation or fantasy yeah. of what it would be yeah. like as well.
2: I, I think that's, that's a fair statement. Did, remember, you, did you
1: find your, um, I'm sorry to interrupt. Did you find your birth father that she had given you the name?
2: Or I did write him. She also wrote him. They're actually third cousins. Mm. And mm-hmm. they lived about 30, 40 minutes apart growing up. He's a farmer and owns a big farm in, in the area he's in, but he has never acknowledged me. I do have three paternal brothers at the time when I found him. And I found out later he was going through a, a pretty nasty divorce with his first wife. And But in 2009, I, I decided one day I just wanted to meet, contact my brother's. So, I looked on Facebook and I found three of them with the same last name as my birth father. And I I messaged one of them. Uh, I sent him actually a Facebook request, a friend request. And he said, wrote back and said, Well, how do we know each other? Here's the story. (laughs) So, I told him about my birth mother and and our father. And And a couple of days later, he accepted my friend request and he said, He wrote back, he said, you know, there's some weird things that have gone on in this family, and this isn't beyond the realm of it. So I was a complete secret to almost everyone on the paternal side.
0: But it sounds like he's welcoming.
2: My brother was, yes.
0: Yeah. And so are you still in touch with him?
2: Yes. He and I actually talked couple of Sundays ago it was siblings national siblings day and we actually talked for over four hours
0: wow and have you met in person
2: we did meet in 2011 he lived in a, another city at the time with his wife that he at the and I met them at their town home and I gave him a ride back to the family farm and so we spent three hours together and it was just incredible um at one point, we stopped at a general store in the town close to their farm. And as I was walking out, I felt some grief come up. And I thought, okay, what am I going to do? I'm going to cry in front of my brother or am I going to stop my feelings? So as we got in the car, I he got in the passenger seat, and I, I opened my door on the driver's side, and I knelt down. And I said, sorry, I, I just need a minute. And I cried for a couple minutes, and he said, You know, I don't know what you're going through, but it's okay.
1: And your biological dad, is he still alive and still doesn't acknowledge you?
2: Both. Yeah. Yeah. I've learned through family members. Uh, I did meet one of his, uh, an aunt and uncle and, and my, the mother of my brothers and some other family members in 2015. And I found out a lot more about my birth father and, there, he grew up in a very abusive environment and unfortunately he has carried on that mm. to my brothers. My youngest brother, he committed suicide that year in November 2015. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't meet him. I was kind of afraid to because of some things that were going on in his life at the time. And, and I know that was very painful for my the brother I did meet initially and and the other family members.
0: Well, yeah, sure. I can imagine. Lots of tragedy. Yeah. Sounds like. Do you have kids?
2: I do have a son in Calgary. He is 31 and I have two grandkids.
0: And Um, are you close? And was that one of those, you know, when you had your first biological child, like did you have that deep connection? Like we all
2: feel. (laughs) Not exactly initially. I, I was an absentee father with my son until he was almost nine. Uh, we met for the first time. And after that, we were close. He would visit a couple times a year or I would go up to Canada and see him. And he met my birth mother a couple years after I did. And so I made amends to his mother and, and to him as much as I could at the time back Many years ago, but we do have contact, but not a whole lot. right now.
1: Tell us a little bit about becoming an adoption reunion coach and how long have you been doing that?
2: Okay. I've been doing it for nearly two and a half years. And I realized in late 2019 that, you know, there's a real need for people, adoptees and even birth parents and adoptive parents that need support, someone to talk to that are struggling in reunion because it it doesn't affect just one aspect of your life it can affect your whole life your work your personal relationships your health so i just i just i decided i wanted to help others and become a a reunion coach and coaching is designed to get people to uncover the answers they have within themselves that's how it differs from therapy. It's mm-hmm. just moving forward from where you are, where you start at one point and you want to get to another point. And so, so through coaching, I help people with their thinking, their belief system. And because I, I think a lot of adoptees, myself included, have, we have gone through trauma. But I think with our own beliefs and our thinking about it, we compound that trauma and suffering even more than we need to because of how we.
1: I was thinking just, I wish I'd known, you know, when I went through some (laughs) reunion issues myself with my biological mom's side, not my biological mom, but some cousins and my aunt and my uncle that, you know, I was so clueless. I would have loved to have someone to help me I had so many mixed feelings about, and I was going through personal things in my own life. And I can imagine that you're very helpful to people. So it's nice to be able to spread the word for that. You know, if we could do that. Yeah, really is. Thank you. I um, didn't even know there was such a thing.
0: <laughs> we didn't know a lot in the, we didn't know. That, we're, that we're discovering now, you know, so, so where are you at now? Like, let's bring you up to present Are you're not talking. Do you see any hope? for a reunion reunion again or it's just kind of maybe not
2: now after I met my paternal family in 2015 I came back to to Texas and it was also my son's 25th birthday so I wanted to be up to see him for that and I posted on Facebook some of my pictures of my paternal family and during that trip and I chose not at the time not to call my birth mother. I just didn't want to engage with her at that point. And so our twin year reunion came up that October and I messaged her happy 20 year reunion. And she wrote back the same. And then she got very critical of my posting pictures on my Facebook page of my paternal family reunion. Mm. And she wrote, the last thing she wrote in that message was, "You know, you should really think about other people's feelings." And it's
1: always the adoptee who has to think about everybody's <laughs> right? Yes, yeah.
2: It wasn't uncommon for her to to be critical or say things like that. And instead of just flying off a handle in response, I waited a couple of days. I talked to another fellow adoptee, and and I wrote her back that Monday, and I said, "You know, Adam." I'm 45 years old. I'm not five. I don't need your permission What to post on my Facebook page. And she was also, I think, ashamed because I used the last name of my paternal family. And I just said, you know what? I'm, I'm done with this. I, I don't need this anymore. And so I sent her that message and then I, I blocked her. Because when she would attack me or try to reject me, I've been through rejection six times with her. It's
1: painful.
2: But, yeah. And it would just really throw me on a kilter for a few days. It would affect my marriage, my, my health. And I just thought, you know, what is the point of continuing this, getting a few breadcrumbs, emotional breadcrumbs mixed in with all this chaos and toxicity from her? And I just decided it wasn't worth it to stay in contact.
1: I think it's really strong and and brave of you because it's hard to make that call and it, do that for yourself Thank you.
2: It was she had gotten to the point where she a couple of years earlier she would she had broke she was over being a birth mother didn't want to talk about adoption anymore, and I thought, well, that's our connection. It's not like you can just not play that role right so <laughs> She did call a couple of weeks later and left a message and I, I just didn't want to listen to it and I deleted the message a couple hours after she called I didn't listen to it we were visiting my adopted grandmother in British Columbia at the time and I was there with my wife and I just said I don't need this drama and and so I, I chose to walk away from, from that reunion and I've maintained some reunion for contact with one of my younger brothers and
0: right that's what you said yeah
2: over a year ago one of my maternal brother or uncles messaged me on Facebook sent me a friend request and we chatted for about a year and then he passed away this January from cancer and it was really sad because he he became sober about five years before I did and I just never kept up contact with him. And since he passed, I've established contact with his two daughters through Facebook. And, and that's been really nice to, to have contact with them. And, you know, it's hard for adoptees because we don't, we get all these new family members and reunion and to try to maintain contact and establish relationship with all of them. For a lot of them it's it's hard they they have one person in us to have a new relationship with, and we could have ten or twenty or five people and so that's another thing that adopting need to think about and because it, it can be overwhelming.
1: I'm glad you brought that up because I felt that way a little bit, and I don't know if Sarah <laughs> did too, but you're you do have many relationships you're learning, and you're just the one focus. For other yeah. people, and it's it's a little bit. It was overwhelming for me, and
0: I think mm-hmm. in a way I was. I'm listening to all these stories, and and I was just thinking how, I think in a weird, fortunate in a way. I mean, mm-hmm. unfortunate, unfortunately, Tilda, my first mother, died in 2009. But I had like a really. I met my sisters when they were young, 13 and 15, and they came to stay with me. I've ta- already talked about this, but. And so I got to really, I feel very, very close to them emotionally mm-hmm. as if they were my full sisters. And so I do feel very lucky in that way on her side. Do you want to give us, say it out loud, if, if people are looking for a reunion coach, how they can reach you?
2: Sure. You can reach, to, uh, reach out to me on my Facebook page, Adoption Reunion Coaching and my name is Darren Watson, D-A-R-Y-N. I'm not sure why my mom spelled it. Uh, different, <laughs> I but, like it. <laughs> thank you. I do coach adoptees and also first or birth parents and, uh, and adopted parents because adoption affects up to six and 10 people in, in the U.S. Uh, directly or indirectly. Even though adoptees are only 2 or 3% of the population, it just goes the whole constellation Goes much further than just uh, us or the the triad.
0: Yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining us and sharing your story with us and being so open. Really, really appreciate it.
2: Thank you. Uh, I I appreciate talking to you both, and thank you for having me.
1: Thanks, Darren. It's been really nice. Thank you, Darren. That was a really
0: touching. Kind of sad too. It made me sad to hear, but I'm glad he's taken his experience to help other people. Like he didn't let that pain or disappointment drag him down. He's taking it
1: and focusing it. Yeah, I agree with you. And I, I was impressed with how young he came to find things out. Because I mean, really, even doing regression therapy and being in the adoptive community, having a counselor he spoke to, knowing when to. Back, I mean, you know, that's in your twenties and thirties as a man and even a young woman. I don't. I barely touched. I think it. that I have
0: to give. I'm going to guess he would agree. That's probably the twelve step program mm-hmm. help because you have to be accountable and look into things. You can't mm-hmm. just float through. So it's great that he got into that program so young, and
1: it's so great working and, on himself. Yeah, and helping people and just and knowing. Um, I was also thinking how he knew when to end reunion for himself when it was toxic. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. How and to take
1: care of himself, how to take care of himself. Cause I think a lot of people that we hear, you know, and talk to go around and around with it. Cause you're pulled in mm-hmm. and always the adoptee apologizing, right? Like always, oh, sorry, I put that on Facebook. Well, <laughs> I'm yeah. 45 years old. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think it's
0: time. I do what I want to do for myself. Yeah. yeah. Well, he was great. So,
1: As we always say, another (laughs) Another great great episode. episode. (laughs) See you next time. See
0: you next time. Thanks so much for listening today.
1: And remember, if you'd like to share your stories or suggest any guests for our show, you can find us on all the socials at The Making of Me Podcast.
0: And again, we have a Patreon page so that we can continue to bring these great adoption stories to you. So if you want to find that and donate or contribute in any way, find us at patreon.com searching adoption, colon, the making of me. Bye. See you next time.